Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Amen. Glory to God. Let's uh, let's get seated as we today today we'll try to kind of put an icing on the cake of the subject of leadership that we've been dealing with. So we're going to um, touch a few things and see from the life of Jesus how best we can become better leaders. But how many of you have been blessed so far with the teachings? Are they changing anything in your life? Praise the name of the Lord. Are they changing anything in your home? Especially for the men. Are we becoming better leaders? Praise the name of the Lord. You know, your children and your wife should be glad that you're coming to this church. They shouldn't be looking for a way to report you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's pray and, and we get into the word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I'd like us to read the story again from John chapter 13 to refresh our mind and then I'll pick up a few verses and then I'll share a couple of things along the leadership style of Jesus. John chapter 13, let's read the story again so we are abreast with the facts that Jesus shared with us. Now before the feast of the Passover, verse 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, we talked about this, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking the toil, he gathered himself. Now, let's pause there and see the exchange that Jesus did. One of the things we see very strongly in that verse was Jesus exchanged his garments for a towel. What he did there practically was laying aside his royalty and taking on the nature of a servant. He laid aside his garments and picked up what? A towel to serve. If we are to become leaders in line with the way Jesus led. We must lay aside our garments, our garments of achievements, our garments of wealth, our garments of positions, 
Whatever garments we seem to have, we must exchange it for a toil. What that simply means is that we are not approaching leadership from a place of achievement, but we are approaching leadership from a place of service. Are you following that? You're not, you're not, you're not dealing with your wife. Uh, you know, like we said, this can be applied in every area of life. You're not dealing with your wife like, you know what? I did you a mighty favor to marry you. If I had not married you, you would have been rusting in your father's house. You're not approaching your wife that way. You're laying aside that garment and picking up a towel. You're not approaching your children with the perspective that, you know what? It, I was the one that co-created you into this world. If I've not decided to give birth to you, you would have been in the spirit world and not showed up. Alright? So we, we're not approaching life. Are you following what I'm saying? We're not approaching life with achievements. And, and you cannot tell a man who is humble if he's still poor. Uh, poverty by design has self-inflicted humility inside. It comes with the package. And until you break through a level of wealth, until you break through a level of significance, you cannot really know if you're humble. There are some poor, proud people. Those ones, their troubles will be extended. I'm talking about... but they, Because what poverty does is that it doesn't give you options. Are you following what I'm saying? So there are some sin you want to commit, you, you can't afford it. So until you have resources, we'll know if it is money that is keeping you from that sin. Huh? Or it is righteousness. Are, are you following what I'm saying now? So we must exchange our garments for the toil. We must exchange position. And, and we, we need to watch this. Do you remember the Lord told the children of Israel? He says, you shall remember the Lord your God. That it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Lest you say the work of my hands. Now, I, I, I want you to picture that. Do you, did you ever think in your mind that the children of Israel would forget that it was God who made them to prosper. Let's think of that scenario. They were slaves for 430 years. They, they were um, rushed out of Egypt. And it was the Lord who, through Moses, asked them to go take gold and silver. Praise God. Now, the Lord had to remind them again that, listen, you should remember. Because you would easily say, you would easily say. And, and so... Um, the ability to lay aside your gamut when you have come to a position of influence is what really tells if you're modeling the leadership style of Jesus. Praise God. Are you still here? Alright. So, verse 5. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then you know, if you, to wash the disciples' feet, if it was to wash their hair, it was okay. To wash their body, it was okay. But their feet, like I said, was dirty, muddy from trekking. Alright? And it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience to wash the feet of 12 adults wasn't a pleasant experience. 
But Jesus did it. And this he did practically. To wash the feet of people. In the kingdom of God, this is what defines greatness. And I'm going to touch a little about that tonight. Because I'm talking about, tonight I'm emphasizing on the fact that the, the kingdom, the leadership in the kingdom of God is to the vulnerable. It's easy to lead the educated. It's easy to lead the the brides, right? It's easy to lead people that are fantastic. But the kingdom leadership of Jesus is about leading the downtrodden, the outcast, the vulnerable, the ones that society will not readily want to associate with. Let's say, for instance, you are in the office and you're a supervisor. It's good, it's easy to work with the bride. How would you take the one that is least likely and through your empowering leadership, see the image of God in them and raise them to their full potential? That's what I'm talking about. So by washing their feet, Jesus showed us that the leadership of the kingdom is getting into the trenches and getting the dirty job done. It's not about an elite performance, staying in a high place where people cannot reach you. It's about engaging people at that point where they touch the earth, their feet. That part of them that touches the ground. And if we examine this, we would redefine a lot of things in our life because in our lives, especially with human nature, when you hear statements like, your network is your net worth. You know, the, we, uh, brilliant statement, good statement. But when you hear statements like that, you want to quickly increase your net worth by finding people who have what? Who have great network. And if we're all honest with ourselves this evening, we'd realize that if the Lord does not walk in our hearts, we seek the friendship of the rich and the mighty. And even when we want to serve the poor and the vulnerable, we do it as a key to becoming rich. Say, I like to give to the poor because the Bible says, He that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. So, what you are just doing is spiritual Arabic. You, you don't love the poor. You are using them to become rich. It's a, it's a covenant principle. <laughs> you are covetous. You are not practicing covenant. Should we give to the poor? Yes, we should. But we shouldn't give to the poor with the mindset that when we give to the poor, then we have something to hold so that God will bless us. What you have just done is to use the poor to get rich. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that even if you give your whole body to be burnt and you, do, you don't do it out of love, it is wasted. And I see a lot of initiatives to reach the poor and reach the vulnerable in the society. I don't see so much as love as opposed to two things. Number one, we just feel that when we do that type of giving, it eases our conscience that we're concerned about the vulnerable. Or secondly, we've been so taught to do such givings that we do it as part of our tickets to becoming more prosperous. But the kingdom of God leader, the one who leads in the kingdom of God, which we're all part of, 
His primary motivation is love. Its primary motivation is love. True love, genuine love for the vulnerable. Genuine love for the outcast. Praise God. Are you still here? Okay. So he came to Simon Peter, verse 6. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now. What I do you do not realize now. But you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. (laughs) Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table again. He said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, pay attention to this, the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It says, you call me teacher and Lord. If I am your Lord and your teacher, as I have washed your feet, as I have exemplified, You go and do the same. Then it says, verse 15, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now, very, very important thing here. Jesus said, I modeled for you kingdom leadership. He says, if I'm your Lord and your teacher, I showed you an example so you can go and do the same. The one word I want to pick there is the word example. When we talk about leadership in the kingdom, we're not just talking about leadership of words. The greatest way to lead in the kingdom of God is by example. Now, contrast this with what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Matthew 23 verse 2. Matthew 23 and verse 2. See this here. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to all his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore all they tell you to do, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. He says, They say things and they don't do them. Can you follow that? Come on, are you here? Are you here? Now, when you looked at the life of Jesus, there was no position. 
But whatever Jesus uh, believed, he lived. He exemplified. Then if you look at the Pharisees, they've got positions. They taught, but they didn't live the example. The greatest task of kingdom leadership is living by example. That is why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, take heed to thyself. Let me tell you, like politicians will say, ladies and gentlemen, comrades and friends, the most difficult person to lead in this life is yourself. That's the most difficult person. The most difficult person to put in order is yourself. That is why it is easy sometimes to teach, to hold people to higher standards, and you lower your standards. So in kingdom leadership, the primary focus is on leading ourselves by becoming what? Examples. Being an example in leadership is not one of the things. It's the only thing. Become an example of what you teach. You are leading a group of people and you're always speaking against late coming. Don't come late. You teach leadership as service, serve. Whatever you teach, you have a responsibility in the kingdom of God to live it out. O Theophilus of the former account that I wrote to you of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So, in the kingdom of God, leaders do not only ditch out instructions, they live out those instructions. Paul says, you who say it should not steal, do you steal? So, in kingdom leadership, there is no place for double standards. You hold yourself accountable. You lead by example. And that is why you realize Jesus could have taught them about washing the feet. Do do you understand that? But he didn't. What did he do? He washed their feet. Then he told them, as I have done, do what? Do unto others. That's the way to lead in the kingdom. We don't stay at the back and back instructions. We go to the front of the line and act out the instructions. And like Paul, we say to those who follow me, follow me as I follow Christ. So, in your home, at your job, at your workplace, you become an example, an embodiment of the value system of the kingdom. You're not a bossy leader. Praise God. Are you still here? For I gave you an example that you should, you also should do as I did to you. I gave you an example. So, leadership is becoming, pay attention to this, an example of the value system of the kingdom. That's what leadership is. We're not copying leadership styles from the world. We're not copying um, leadership methodologies from the world. No. Leadership in the kingdom is becoming an embodiment of the value system that's in the word of God. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Alright, the next thing here is to, outside of being an example, is to understand that leadership in the kingdom is about reaching the vulnerable. 
Matthew 19, 14. Matthew 19, 14. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14, it says, verse 13 says, Then some children were brought to him, brought to Jesus, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. Now, I want to ask you one question. (laughs) Why did the disciples rebuke them? I don't know. I I honestly don't know. But I was thinking, why did they rebuke them? They brought these children and they wanted Jesus to pray. And you know, the disciples were the protocol team of Jesus. And what did they do? What did they do to to the kids and their parents? They rebuked them. What was Jesus' response? But Jesus said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Can you, can you picture how Jesus thought? Here were children the one had to be prayed for. And his protocol team says no and rebukes them. And then Jesus turns around and says, let the children come to me. He says, for the kingdom of heaven belong to such as this. How did Jesus think? He saw children, but he saw the kingdom in children. He saw the image of God in them. He saw that these ones, the kingdom of heaven belonged to them. And he responded by what he saw in the life of the children and ministered to the children. Kingdom leadership is about seeing the kingdom of God in the vulnerable. In the ones that necessarily might not add at the presence to what you're doing. You know, it could have been it, it could have been very easy for Peter to say, Do you think 12, 12 of us that are following Jesus who are here to pray for children? Do you think we're wasting our time? It could have been easy for Peter or disciples to say, see, we're not into children ministry. We are not here to joke. We are trying to redeem the world. We are not here to play. You know, it's easy sometimes to see ourselves in a certain position and that we cannot condescend to minister to certain people because they are not in our class. That is why the honest truth is that if someone works into this church and is not properly dressed, right? Walking, ragged, looking vulnerable. The truth of the matter is that it will take you to see the kingdom of God to really be able to minister to that person. That's the truth. One of the greatest reasons why we do not see the flow of the compassion of the Father, of God, Father God in our heart to minister to people is we already have standards in our hearts that people should meet before we minister to them. You know, if someone walks into this church, never born again, never been to church, dresses in a crazy way or in a funny way, our first approach to that person is not acceptance but rejection. That's the truth. Our first approach 
is not acceptance but rejection. It will be like uh, this person. Uh, even if they did not tell you that the dress, the, have you, in the church like this, you think we are playing here. Excellence is our core value. Am I right? Come on. Let's be honest. Tonight, let's say five people walk in here. All crazily dressed. Maybe two of them smelling. Just came straight from the club. Our first approach would be, hey, 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 hey. Our first approach would not be thinking that those people, the kingdom of God belongs to them. I will show you. You know, when I say something like this, you just think that pastor is not true. Let's hear from the mouth of the brother of Jesus. James chapter 2. Verse 1. We're talking about kingdom leadership. And serving the vulnerable, loving the unlovable, loving the most unlovable person and releasing the kingdom of God into them. Because the leadership I'm teaching you in this four series, it's not leadership of you becoming a greater person or more influential person. It's the leadership of serving like Jesus served. That at the end of your life, when people encounter you, by the time they leave, you would have empowered them to live the fullness of their call and the fullness of the grace of God in their life. James chapter 2 verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. He said, don't hold this faith with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, how many of you like gold rings? Let me see. You are in the house of God. How many of you like gold rings? Hmm? Gold necklace. Gold earrings. Gold bangles. A man comes in. Gold ring. Dressed in fine clothes. How many of you like fine clothes? You don't like fine clothes in this church. Gold rings and fine clothes. How many of you think it's not a bad thing to have gold rings and fine clothes? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And there also comes in a poor man in deathly clothes. How many of you think that if there is a man with gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man with dirty clothes, how many of you think the pastor's attention would, would, who do you think the pastor would focus on? Come on, be honest. Gold ring. That's one answer I know you'll never miss. You know why? What do you think? Do you know why? Eh? Talk to me. Do you know why? Gold pockets. Yeah. We are, we are building. We want to build TCC. Who do you think can help us more? Be honest. I mean, who do you think can, can give me money to finish this vision? Gold ring man. Who do you think can give you a job? You are looking for a job. Which kind of church do you want to go to? Do you want to go to a church where there is a poor dirty man or you want to go to a church where there are people with gold rings and fine clothes? Gold rings and fine clothes. Which man do you think you want to marry? Gold ring. You see, all your choices are gold rings and fine clothes because everything you are seeing in that man is connected to yourself. But if you lift your eyes 
and see the kingdom, you will realize that even that man that has external gold rings and fine clothes might be poor, wretched, and in need of God. So you see, if as a pastor of this church, I look at the projects we have from the eyes of men, I would serve the rich. But if I look at the project we have from the eyes of the kingdom, I would serve everybody equally because even in the poor, I would see the kingdom. And in the rich, I would see the kingdom. The only thing that will equalize people in our eyes is if we do not see them from a place of personal satisfaction, personal goals, but from what? From the point of the kingdom. Are you here tonight? All right. Let's read. Verse 3. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit in a good place. Can you see that? So, some of the things we experience today, people say, oh, this world has changed. Ah, in those days, there's nothing that's changed. This was in those days. This was the real in those days. This was James, the brother of Jesus. So, personal favoritism by pastors did not start in Nigeria. It's a human problem. The day the pastor's eyes is taken from the kingdom to his own personal life, he will fall into personal favoritism. If you see your wife from the eyes of the kingdom, you won't be able to abuse your wife. If you see your children, that they represent the kingdom of God. You see the image of God. I'll talk about that if I can get there tonight. It's called, the, you see the image of God imprinted in them. And you see that from these children, I can't tell what possibilities the kingdom of God wants to use them to achieve in this world. You will treat them differently. In fact, it will impact your choice of, of childbirth. And let me explain this. You will not just say, I like many children around me. I want to have seven children. I just like when I sit down around there, people will just be running, running, running. It's still a very selfish way of giving birth to children. But if you realize that, listen, for every child that comes into this world through me, there is an assignment on their life that I must ensure against all odds that they fulfill. You would ask yourself, can I be responsible for seven people with seven assignments? How many of you think it will change your approach to children? Come on, church. How many of you think it will change? But if you just think, when I die, let it, so that when somebody is dancing around my coffin, when somebody is here, somebody will be here. When somebody is here, somebody will be here. You realize that. You just realize that. At the end of the day, you just brought children to be fanning you when you die. It, it, you're, how many of you think that would also impact the way you give birth to children? Because you are looking for people that will say, when somebody will photograph in front, on that person, if there are two children, do not balance. So you are using... Your children to balance how they would hold photographs around your coffin. It will change. It will change your perspective. So, if if the kingdom of God guides our decision, look at what James said here. He says, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. And that's what happened to us. Even in the body of Christ. A rich man can come into a church hasn't gone through discipleship classes, haven't gone through the rigors of that church, he's immediately made a pastor. Leading the poor people who have been in the church for years and are more committed. 
And that is why as a pastor, whether an emerging pastor, never build a church system where people who have money can influence you. You have to be just. You have to be fair. We bless God for prosperity and increase. But in the house of God, it must never become a determining factor about anything. Sometimes, the most committed in the church are those who don't have. Sometimes. And one of the reasons why they are committed is that they don't have. So they really don't. (laughs) You get my point? So they are always available in that sense. But you get what I'm trying to say. He says, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Can you see that? He says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Look at what James says. And become judges with what? Evil motives. Even in your own life, why are you closer to that your uncle than your auntie? Why? You know when we talk about pastor, you say pastor say it. Now I've said your own. <laughs> your family is large, but there's one of your uncles. I really like this, my uncle. Is your is your motive pure? Or because that one has money? Yeah, look at it. So in your life now you have told that one, sit in this good place in my heart. And they have told the poor people in your family, sit on my foot. So you call those ones three times a year. New Year, Christmas, and Easter. Why this one? You are always checking. Happy New Month, sir. It is well with you and your family and your children. You pray for him even when he's not asking for prayer. You are practicing James chapter 2 verse 1 to 4. You are saying in your heart, sit in this good place. And you are saying to that one, sit on you know, these things, we can take them and look at people's life, right? And say, oh, pastors shouldn't do that. These things shouldn't do that. That shouldn't do this. But the truth of the matter is that if we look at our lives, there is the way we categorize people because of what we can get from them as opposed to just loving people because the kingdom of God says so. Praise God. Come on, are you learning something tonight? And that's what should happen. All right, Matthew chapter 4, 4 verse 19. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. I'm just dropping icing on the cake, the leadership cake. So I want to see a few thoughts here. And he said to them, verse 18, let's read from verse 18, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. And he said to them, now sorry, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Number one, Jesus reached out to the least likely. Jesus reached out to the least likely. He saw 
people casting their nets. Fishermen were not people that were greatly associated with in those days. If you wanted to call people to become your disciples, praise God, you will not call fishermen. Do you think you call fishermen? No. Who do you think you call today if you wanted people to become your disciples? Bankers. Right? Hey, come on. Engineers. Who else? Doctors. Lawyers. But Jesus reached out to the least likely. Reached out to the least likely. And that's what kingdom leadership is all about. Kingdom leadership is about ministering, reaching out to the least likely. And then number two, he said what? Follow me. He showed them leadership by what? Example. He didn't just say, come listen to me. No. He showed them leadership by example. So, what's kingdom leadership? Kingdom leadership is reaching to the least likely and showing them by example. Example is big in the kingdom of God. Your life, you need, that's why the Bible says this, right? It says, by their fruits. What? You shall do what? Did he say by their miracles? Did he say by their power? Did he say by their cars? Did he say by their houses? No, he didn't say by their swag. He said by their fruits. Because in the kingdom of God, come on now, example is a big deal. The fruit of your life is a big deal. So when we talk about leadership in the kingdom, we're talking about leadership by example. In the home as men, we lead by example. We lead prayer by example. We lead the world by example. We live, when our children see us serving our wives, they, they automatically, you know, um, how do I put it now? They automatically imbibe that. When they see us loving our wives, when they see us loving the mother, they, they pick that. And that's why, you know, you realize that sometimes when you grow up into homes where, you know, your father and your mother had all these fights and everything, there's, you know, sometimes if it's for the ladies, there's a resentment towards men. There's, you just feel men are, and that resentment grows. And that's the example you saw. For ladies, for men, it can be the other way. So our greatest, the greatest thing we can offer in the family is example. Example of service. Example of the word. Example of faith. You know. (laughs) We're talking about something in our house yesterday. and We're talking about faith. Example of trusting the Lord. When your children see you in crisis, it's not a bad thing. How do you come out of that crisis? Ora Roberts, let me use... Let me use another preacher's family. Ora Roberts, it's uh, the great Ora Roberts. His mother taught him how to trust God. And um, he said, one day they went somewhere, and his mother said, we're going to this person's house. They're going to offer us food. They're going to ask if we've eaten, if we had food. He says, you tell them. You are okay. He says, because God is going to provide for us. No, so it wasn't because we were afraid of poison. So it's because she's teaching them to trust God. And for a day or so, they haven't had food. But they prayed. They prayed before they left. They wanted to go visit. <laughs> and Ora said, when they got there, just like her mother said, just like his mother said, 
they brought this. And you know how the devil is. Everything you have ever wanted to eat. They brought this nice food. And so they asked. He was tempted. He was tempted. He was tempted to say we have not eaten. He almost said that. And the mother gave him that look that requires no further interpretation. So he said, oh, we're okay. He said on the way home, he kept saying, ah, we've made a mistake. At least, even if God wants to provide, we can eat this one. Right? Praise God. We can eat this one. And then the one is provided, we'll add it to, you know. But he says, when they got home, they opened the door. You know, the door wasn't locked. They were trying to open the door, and they discovered that there was, I mean, it was like things were stacked up. And they forced the door open and realized that the neighbor had come in. They didn't know who came in, had brought them groceries. And he says, that one incident... When he was building the, 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 the medical complex and funds were shot, that that incident kept coming to his mind that if God could do this for them, then God could provide the funds. And we know whatever Ora Robot did for the Lord, how God used them mightily. But that seed of faith was sown where? Was sown in that experience. So when there's crisis in the home, and you are complaining and complaining and complaining. You're not, you're not empowering your children. You're not leading them in the way of the kingdom in that instant. Praise the name of the Lord. Every opportunity is an opportunity to practice what? Leadership. Remember what we said. You are influencing someone. See, your children are looking at your faith life. Your children are looking at your words, your confession, how you deal with stuff. And I can share stories and stories of children who grew up and saw faith being practiced, saw their parents living the life of faith, and they got into situations and they remembered that instance. And they remembered that instance. So you are an example of the kingdom. And I tell everyone, everywhere you are, you're an example of the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to only be in church. At your workplace, you're an example of the kingdom of God. And that's how you bring the values of the kingdom leadership into a secular world, like Daniel did. You're an example. And then the next thing Jesus said is, if you follow me, what will happen? I will make you fishers of men. That means... Kingdom leadership is transformative. It will transform the people around you. It will change them to something bigger and better. The quality of what they do will get better. When you lead people, they should be able to be better. God was to take them. From fishing fishes to becoming fishers of men. The quality of what they're doing was going to go higher. When people walk around you, are they transformed at the end of the day? Or, by the time you are done with people, their self-esteem is down. How do you handle people who come around you? Five years after you have married that woman, is that woman better? Her life more qualitative? Is she living more to, is she transformed? 
Or she looks back and realizes that every potential, every dream, every seed is gone. You know, sometimes as men, I speak to men a lot. You know, sometimes as men, when we get married to women, it's sometimes very easy to want to just reshape the dream, recraft the dream, redirect. And I, and I actually, I've been thinking about that of late. And I actually feel that sometimes, as men, we do not take the time to say, hey, you know what, let's pray and let's find out exactly what God will have you do or the things that God will put in your heart. And I want to help you steward that purpose and make that come to pass. And I think essentially it's because, now I'm not saying there should be two visions in the house, but I think essentially we've been, we've been taught over the years that, you know what, when you're, you're, you're a lady, primarily it's, it's about helping the man, which is scripture. But is there a capacity that can be unleashed that the man also needs to help the woman find? In that process of the woman helping the man. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Is there a service the man can serve the woman so that the full potential will come forth? By the time your children have grown in your home, have they been transformed from however states they were in thought, in vision, in quality? And I'll say this to every parent here today. The gap you have to play in your children's life, it's not more than 10 years. From age 0 to 10, the children are absolutely already formed in their belief system. By the time they are getting to teenage years, they are just waiting. They are just waiting. And, and you know because that's how you were too. You were just waiting. Let me get to university. How many of you were like me? Let me do you understand? Yeah, you already knew what you wanted to do. Because by then, you had mastered the Christian act. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Uh, Offering time, blessing time. God is good all the time. So they can never catch you that you are not born again. You know what your parents like in church. Do you understand? But the real things you value. By the time children are already going to 13... They are already telling themselves, I cannot marry somebody like my mother. Or I cannot. Do you understand? They have already decided. So, the greatest time you have, it's probably 10 years with your kids. And after that, you have to trust God all the way. You have to trust God all the way. Because their minds are already formed, already shaped. And I believe that's why Jesus allowed the children to come to him and for him to put his hands on them because he saw the kingdom in them. Saw the kingdom in them. You know, I was thinking today as I was going through a a teenage church building and I saw a couple of things and I was thinking, I said, we we look at teenagers today and we want to train them all the morals, all this stuff and all this stuff. And I'm just wondering, right, like, what about if teenagers had access to church history and they, they knew some of the revivals that took place? Would there be a more hunger for God in them? Would there be, would there be something about God they're passionate about? 
And so in my heart, I just thought that in our TCC auditorium, we'd have a wall that would just write signs, wonders, and miracles and put some pictures of revivalists and just write a very brief thing of what they did, Ivan Roberts, who shook the whole of Wales by the time he was 23. I was thinking, what about if our children walk into a building every day and they gaze on these people? Will this shape sometimes the desires in their hearts? I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Who are the models you hold before your children? Or who are the models that are esteemed in your house? These are all leadership. You're leading these children now to make life choices. You're leading your family to make life choices. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're influencing. So he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So the goal of every leader should be quality transformation. When people come to our churches, they shouldn't after 10 years still be dependent on us to pray for them before they travel. We should have taught them to be able to do what? Pray for themselves. If people have been around us for years, they shouldn't depend on us praying on the one bottle of oil for them to take, to go and have success. We should rather train them to be ambassadors of the kingdom. Did you see what Jesus did? We talked about it. What did Jesus? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all men. Jesus trusted his disciples with all the power he had. We are here today because Jesus trusted us. Why can't we trust people? We always want to hold power. We always want to hold positions. That's why in this part of the world, uh, I'm sorry, it might rub the other way, but it's just the truth. This part of the world, people hardly hand over churches. I remember when dad talked about handing, handing over to me when he did that. You know, someone called him. He said, are you planning to die? He says, no. Hey, but you are not old now. Because in this part of the world, a, a founder of a church must not hand over. He would die on the pulpit. Eh? And then the wife will have to take over. And then the wife will die. And then they find the nearest person. And when it, you know, when the person has died like that, then confusion will start. Before, if you listen to Papa's last message before he died, he was always doing his hand like this. Always doing his hand like this. And I was sitting there. If you look at that thing prophetically, Papa was saying, it's your turn. It's your turn. And then we just cause confusion over what someone has built. Are you following what I'm saying? What is there? in leadership position in churches that we cannot relinquish to the next generation. What is there? It won't stop you from preaching. It won't stop you from doing what you're doing. But we must sit there until we can function. Learn to build things to give away. Learn to trust people. Praise God. Learn to trust people. Like Dr. Mas Moro says, we hold the baton to the grave. We don't pass the baton. We don't pass it. We hold it until we get to the grave. Even in your home, when your children get to a certain age, give them the authority. Give them the power. 
I mean, I think our own age is better now. Don't wait until your children secretly go and crash your car before you take them to the drivers. Once you realize that their interest, they are just looking at the car in a way. Just say, my, bro- my brother, come. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know. Once, you know, I just say, my brother, come. Come. Take, and then sort them out. Because one day you just hear, Jesus! Two headlights. Two headlights. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let, you see, Learn to deliberately think of giving power away. Think that way. I'm the pastor of this church. How should I think? I want to see more people stand here to teach the word even better than I teach the word. That's the way I should be thinking. I should not just be thinking that for the rest of my life, every Sunday I must be here, every Tuesday. No, that's don't think that way. No. We, we transform people so we can pour power into their hands. You know why? Because the kingdom of God does not revolve around one man. How many of you think if you were Jesus, you would give disciples power? I don't think so. Oh, my boy, I don't think so. Imagine if only you had the power to raise the dead. Eh? Cure cripples. Open blind eyes. I won't give it. Why? (laughs) Why will I give it? I want everybody to come. But what did Jesus say? It is to your own advantage that I go away. Do you realize that in a way it looked like to his own disadvantage because then people are not going. But he says, listen, you're going to do these things in my name. What about if you think like that in your life? That everything I'm building now, I'm building to give away. I'm building to empower someone else. It will liberate you from insecurity. Why do we hold to things? Why do we hold to positions? It's not the kingdom. You know, I always tell people this. We trust the Holy Spirit in us. Why don't we trust the Holy Spirit in other people? You know, it's good. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But, you know, sometimes people feel, oh, you know, your pastor travels a lot. And then I say this, you know what? It's, it's, you know, it's sometimes can be very funny. People pray like, oh God, Father God, open doors, open doors for our pastor, Lord, let God doors be open. Then the doors open. Say, oh, you are entering too many doors. You, you need to choose one. Do you want the doors open? Or, okay, say, where you can reach many people by not going anywhere. Okay. Now bring the money for TV. But you know, the truth of the matter is that the more open doors that God gives to us, right? The more people need to be trained to get into those open doors. Because you know what? I cannot also go everywhere where needed. Do you understand that? So the, key, the increase of the kingdom means that everybody should do what? Increase. Now we've got TCC, the, the teens church starting. Am I going to be teaching there every Sunday? I'm not going to be teaching there. But anybody who is teaching in the teens church should carry the same heart that I carry for revival. And we're going to have teens church all over. It means we'll need more teenage pastors. And when we mean teenage pastors, we're not just, we don't just mean teenage pastors who become teenage pastors because they are wearing jeans that are, tat- you know, that are scattered. You, you know, we have that mindset that if we want to reach the young generation and, you know, then wear your face cap backward. That's what they connect with. Can you connect them with the power of God and stop connecting them with dresses? Just connect them with the gospel. The gospel of God is foolishness, but it's the power of God unto salvation. And you have to carry that heart. Transformation. You lead the women's group. 
How will the women become after five years of your leading them? How will the men become? How will the choir become? Whatever group you are responsible now, will you be able to say, if you guys follow me in this group, I will make you fishers of men. I will change the quality of what you do. You, you're, you're already fishing fishes, but I'm going to follow me for three and a half years. I will change the quality of what you do. I will change your capacity. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright, let me read a few things. And then we can wrap this up. Are you still here? Are you learning anything tonight? Alright. Jesus listened to the vulnerable with the end of bringing the gospel to them. Listen to the woman at the well. In, 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 in developing kingdom leadership, we have to learn to listen to the vulnerable. Sometimes we have to learn to listen to the people we think they are not worth listening to. We must see the kingdom of God in men. It's something I'm praying every day. Sometimes we pray for growth, but we're not ready for growth. Hmm? Because in our mind, we have the way growth should be. Sometimes we pray for, it's like when they were praying for Peter to be released, right? The whole church, they got it. Oh God, release Peter. Oh God, let Peter be released. Oh God, you know. <laughs> and then Peter was released. Then Peter knocks on the door. He said, who is that? He says, Peter. <laughs> Jesus, he's his ghost. But we were just praying. You know what I realized? Many times we're not ready for the answers that we are praying for. You know, just like I, I, I said now, right? You pray, oh God, let the doors open. And then the doors start opening. Like, oh God, they're opening too fast. <laughs> or oh, don't go. Eh? Or you pray, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Then they call you, say, hey, we want you to head this department. Say, ah, no, I don't have time. You, you may just cry now that God should use you. Do you want God to use you to break can here? You know, sometimes we really pray these things. Oh God, you know, it's like um, for some for some years back, right? We are praying for the teenagers of this of this island, right? Jesus God, therefore we want to reach our Father, let the teenagers and we pray. And bam, the doors started opening. You know, right now we don't have enough people to go to the schools where we need to preach. So we need more people to work with the teenagers. We need more hands. Now we've prayed. The harvest has come. And that's why Jesus says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest. So that he will send laborers. Because you realize that at the time when the doors open, you might not even be ready. Are you following this? So every prayer you are praying, be sure you are ready for the answer. Yeah. You know, we've been, pr- we've been praying for Vision 500 in this church, right? And when we looked at the office and see the, the data of the first-timers that have come in the last one year, it's incredible. It's, it's just incredible. The amount of visitors we've had. You know, a man was, was praying. Just give you this as a side note. A man was praying. He said, oh God, give me money. Oh God, give me money. He mentioned a particular amount of money. Then at the end of the year, the mo- he, he didn't get the money. So he went back to God. He said, I've been believing for this money for one year and I didn't get it. And God reminded him of all the time some little, little cash came into his hand. Then he calculated everything that came into his hand. What happened? 
it ended up the exact amount that he trusted God for. Did God give him what he asked for or not? God gave him. But it didn't come the way he wanted it to come. Most times our answers don't come the way we planned it to come, but the answers come. So you have to be discerning. Alright? So I read a few statements by a man called Spencer Kimball. I like what he said. He said, Jesus was a listening leader because he loved others with a perfect love. He listened without being condescending. A great leader listens not only to others, but also to his conscience and to the promptings of God. So you must listen to your conscience. You must listen to do what is right. But Jesus was a listening leader. Number two, Jesus was patient, pleading, and a loving leader. When Peter drew his sword and smote the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear, Jesus said, put up thy sword into the sheet. Without being angry or perturbed, Jesus quietly healed the servant's ear and he reproved Peter. You saw how Jesus corrected Peter there. He didn't say, you want to destroy my mission to the cross? (laughs) He didn't say that. He reproved Peter. Healed the servant's ear. Even in the midst of his own pain, he administered healing. Even in the midst of his own pain, he administered healing. Sometimes leading like Jesus means that even in your pain, you are healing others. Jesus was on his way to the cross. Being arrested. Do you think that's the right time? Do you think that's the time he would be thinking of healing other people? No. Absolutely no. Number three. Jesus' leadership emphasized the importance of being discerning with regards to others without seeking to control them. And I like this. He cared about the freedom of his followers to choose. Even he, in those moments that mattered so much, had to choose voluntarily to go through Gethsemane and to hang on the cross. He taught us that there can be no growth without real freedom. One of the problems with manipulative leadership is that it does not spring from a love of others, but from a need to use them. Such leaders focus on their own needs and desires and not the needs of others. You see, I always tell people this. You can love people and use that love as a manipulative tool to control them. You've got to love people enough and allow them the freedom to choose. I I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. You can't, it's like, I don't know if this example fits, but I think I I can use it. It's like a a guy, right, keeps buying a gift for a girl, keeps buying a gift for a girl, and then at the end of the day says, I want to marry you. And the girl says, no. He now says, ah, you, you cannot say no. <laughs> you cannot say no. Say, that perfume that you are using, who bought it for you? Now, that, that's an issue, right? It, it, I mean, you could, I mean, I'm not saying you should go out, but the point is, you should be able to love people and still allow them the freedom to do what? To choose. That means what? A leader creates the environment of love for people, but you can't control people into becoming loyal to you. And that's why as ministers of the gospel, we have to be careful. We cannot use the grace of God in our life to make people subject to us in a manipulative way. People have to choose if they want to follow you. Paul says, we do not have dominion over your faith. We do not have dominion over your faith. And this is a very thin line. Because if you're not careful, you will love people, but it will actually become very what? manipulative. It's loving them for yourself, not loving them for the grace and the potential that they have in them. Are we clear on that? Alright. Jesus was also not afraid to make demands of those he led. 
His leadership was not condescending or soft. He had the courage to call Peter and others to leave their fishing nets and to follow him. Not after the fishing season or after the next catch, but now, today. Jesus let people know that he believed in them and in their possibilities and thoughts. He was free to help them stretch their souls in fresh achievements. And that's something we can do. We can courageously call the potentials in people. We can courageously, if we're leading like Jesus, look at people and say, Hey, I need you to do this. And I need you to do it now. And when we do that, it's not just because of ourselves, but what? We are stretching the possibilities of their soul. If, I remember the first pastor that ever gave me the pulpit to preach. I don't know what I preached that day. He, he said I should preach on the blood of Jesus. I remember it was the blood of Jesus. I don't know what I preached. But thank God for that preacher. It was a Church of God mission preacher in a, in a village called Iede. Pastor Samuel Obiagbedi, that's his name. I, I've been looking for the man. I've been looking for the man everywhere. I can't find him. But thank God for that man who gave me the opportunity to preach. Thank God for him. I'm sure when he gave me that opportunity to preach, he never knew. Maybe he knew, maybe he knew, but he never knew that that would be the first place that I'll stand. And from there, God will take my voice to the nations. But he called that potential. Now, still, still a very small child then. Maybe. Maybe primary, primary six or GS one there about. But I, I just know I was small. Because I remember the pulpit's height was a struggle for me. So they now gave me, you know, in those churches, they used to have box where you put your offering. They'll have a box with holes. So I, because I remember I was seeing the pulpit. I was not seeing people. <laughs> so they now... So I had to use the offering box. I remember very clearly. I had to use the offering box. That's to show us, boy, he gave me that opportunity. What's the church mission church gave me that opportunity? Praise God. We cannot manipulate and control people. We have to give them the freedom. Praise the name of the Lord. All right, last one. Jesus saw long and far. And he believed in people. John 17, 20. When he said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Jesus not only lived his life for his personal calling. He led others to fulfill theirs. Jesus gave purpose to the lives of his followers. He gave them a message. He gave them a task and a hope. Jesus was people focused. He lived for others. And yet his esteem was based in God. And not in pleasing human beings. When we say becoming people focused, it doesn't mean that we depend on people or we're living to please people. Do you understand that? But we are empowering people because we know who we are in God. We are not insecure. He says, I pray for them that will believe. John 17 20. I pray not only for, the, for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Imagine Jesus praying, Jesus praying, and he was praying for people who will believe through the message of those who are going to betray him that night. How, 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 how visionary that can be. It's like I'm praying for you now. Right? And I say, Lord, I'm praying for this man. And I'm praying for the people who will come to his church. Or the people who will, you know, maybe um, believe this message through the churches that he's going to plant. And I know that tonight, somebody will ask you, is this your church? And you will say no. 
<laughs> How many of you think that's not the kind of prayer you want to pray now? Yeah. And when the disciples, let's write this down, please. When the disciples asked them if they could call fire down, what did he say? He says, no. Luke 9.54. Luke 9.54, just write it down. He says, no. Jesus did not come to condemn and to destroy. Since when disciples James and John said, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you have. If you go to verse 53, they rejected Jesus. They rejected his message. But they did not receive him because he was traveling to Jerusalem. They didn't receive him. How do, how, now, this is the last point here. How do, does a kingdom leader respond to rejection? It's not by condemnation. It's by love. Hmm? So someone leaves your church. How do you respond to that? It's not by cursing. Huh? Someone rejected you. Someone betrayed you. How do you respond? Kingdom leadership does not respond by curses, by condemnation. But by what? By mercy. One of the ways I'll know that love has truly worked in your heart is how you handle rejection. How you handle rejection. How you handle betrayal. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I ask that these words that we have studied in this course of this leadership series will be engraved in our hearts in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.